It's time for episode 488 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's a lot shorter than the shortest month of the year, which also happens to be the month that we just started. I, of course, am one of your co-hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, my dungeon buddy, because we play Dungeons and Dragons online. It's Dan the Man Moore. And how are you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, Micah. Did nobody tell you this is a leap podcast? Oh, my uh, God. So it's, it goes longer every oh, no. uh, once every four years. This podcast goes for three hours. That is not in my schedule, <laughs> but I will rework it. <laughs> uh, so as you know, it is time to introduce our incredible guests. To my left is consumer tech journalist and editor Megan Maroney. Welcome back to the show, Megan. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. It's been a while. We talk for 30 minutes each each time, like my intro is 30 minutes long, right? That's yeah, how this that's works. How it works. Okay. Everybody gets 30 minutes. <laughs> okay. Perfect. And to my left this week, it is YouTuber and general man about town. It's Christopher Lolly. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, thank you for having me back. I have no idea what to say about myself for 30 minutes, so <laughs> I'm just going to cap it there. <laughs> I can take the full hour. I can take you, you yield your time back. Yes, I yield my time. <laughs> um, well, okay. I will kick things off for the show because, of course, there are just 30 minutes to make this happen. My question for you, Instagram's co-founders are working on an app uh, that aims to be the TikTok of news. It's called Artifact. And I would like to know, do you want an algorithm for your news consumption? Uh, or maybe I should say more of an algorithm for your news consumption? Why or why not? Megan, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you added more because like I we already have algorithms for all of our news consumption. I mean, unless you I mean, even if you get like the paper version of the newspaper, it's still someone's using algorithms to decide what stories you want to read. I mean, I use Google News mostly. Um, I use TikTok. I actually use TikTok for news a lot of times. So um, I think I'm already there and I'm okay with it. Um, I recognize that that puts me into a filter bubble and I'm probably not seeing a lot of things that I need to see, but I I am okay with it. I think algorithms are pretty smart. I feel like the rest of the news can come I was going to say can come from like the people around me, but like that's its own kind of filter bubble, especially <laughs> yeah. in Sonoma County. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I'd say I'm good with it. Bring on the algorithms. I'm just angry about the pitch that's the TikTok of news. I just feel like that's the kind of uh, high concept gibberish. The tech. Lo- it's, okay, imagine it's the TikTok of news. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're the Instagram of shoes. We're the. <laughs> I just. I don't know. We're the something of something. Um, <sighs> I feel like I just escaped the algorithmic timeline <laughs> on Twitter. I'm not sure. I'm ready to plunge back into it. I do occasionally, I do dip into Google News every once in a while, which obviously has its own algorithms. I find them perplexing, the stories that it pops up sometimes. And I think the worst part about algorithmic news is the um, self-fulfilling cycle of it, mm-hmm. where it's like, it shows me something, like, I am I am bad at this, right? Like, it'll show me some piece of, like, celebrity gossip or something. I'm like, oh, well, I'll click on that. And then for the rest of my life... <laughs> 
I will get celebrity gossip stories. And I know it's my fault, but the algorithm keeps feeding me the things that it thinks I want to see. And that is somewhat frustrating. In some ways, I'd prefer a system whereby, uh, you know, to Megan's point about the the algorithms that feed your newspaper or what have you, you kind of want like the vegetables, right? Like it's not, don't just give me candy and junk food. Give me the vegetables and the stuff that I really kind of need to know or should know about rather than just the stuff rewarding the stuff that is there for the clicks. So I'm skeptical of this as a system. It's not something I'm particularly interested in, but I guess we'll see how it goes. Chris, what do you think? I'm a big RSS user. I'm a big fan of just like picking my sources and going from there. The other side is somebody that makes things for the internet. Uh, we, uh, you know, we just had a mass exodus of Twitter. And, uh, one thing that Twitter did was have an algorithmic timeline. So anytime I used to make a video or I still make a video, but anytime I, I made videos, I used to post on Twitter that, Hey, here's a new video. And the, Click-through rates on those were always very low, and I never really understood why. It's not, I didn't have a massive following on Twitter, but I didn't have a small following either. On Mastodon, those click-through rates are a lot higher. I'm getting a lot more traffic from Mastodon, and I have a feeling it has to do with the fact that, you know, there's no algorithm anymore. Like, they're, they're, the timeline is just, the you know, what's in your timeline is the people that you follow in chronological order. So I, I think as somebody that makes things online, at least as like an individual, not, you know, a big conglomerate or anything like that, just as a small one-man shop – no algorithm is actually beneficial to me. And as a consumer, no algorithm is good for me because I'm not wasting all my time waiting for, you know, scrolling through apps and stuff like that. So uh, I think depending on how this algorithm is used, it could be good because for me, what ends up happening is I'll get a text from someone that's just something vague, like, can you believe that happened? Oh my goodness. Something along those lines. And then I just go, oh, great. Now I've got to open up Apple News so I can figure out what's going on, who died, what's changed, what's going on. And those are the times where I find myself, you know, looking into the news. So it's uh, there's a chance that if there's some sort of system where I can kind of quickly get the news and stay up on things, I would like that. Um, this is, you know, along with being the TikTok of news, the another term that uh, the platform article used was the TikTok of text. So I do kind of find it interesting how algorithms um, that have typically been used to kind of show us videos we want to see can be applied to uh, text and show us kind of articles or bits of articles that we want to see. So we'll we'll see how this all works out and whether or not it's something I will stick with. But um, thank you all for your answers on that. Let us go to our next topic, which comes from Megan. OpenAI, who <clears throat> makes ChatGPT, they just released a tool to detect if content is AI generated. They say it's not fully reliable um, and it should only be used as one tool of many. But I'm curious how much you care if content was written by AI as long as it's accurate and useful. It's tough. Uh, you know, I feel torn about this. On the one hand, you know, as somebody who makes their living generating content in the written word and podcasting, um, I find that, you know, having AI do that instead is at times uncomfortable feeling. But I also don't want to say this just because I'm out to protect my own job. If there's utility in it, I want to sort of be able to evaluate it more neutrally. 
I think the biggest challenge right now is there isn't an AI generating content that is reliable on a consistent basis any more than the tool to detect it is reliable on a consistent basis. So the worry is that you get into a habit of trusting artificial intelligence generating content and then at some point, you know, it, it involves things that may not be accurate. But if, it, if it's like enough of it's accurate to make you feel like, oh, this is pretty accurate, um, then what what things are sneaking in there? I do find it off-putting. I, I'd like to at least know if I'm reading content that's generated by AI, the idea of having that put out there in such a way as it being either anonymous or being passed off as content generated by people, I think is deeply unsettling. Um, I believe it was CNET that just got in trouble for posting mm-hmm. a lot of stories that were generated by AI, some of which may have contained some errors. Um, so I don't think we're at a point now, certainly where AI can be used unchecked to generate content. I think we're still at a point where if you're going to use it, it needs to have somebody looking at it. And perhaps that undoes some of the efficiency gains that it can impart. Um, in which case, yeah, I still think perhaps uh, it's not ready for that level of trust yet. Chris? I would definitely like to know that and if something is like created by AI, I would like it to be labeled, you know, created by AI. Just like, you know, if somebody writes an article, they have a byline. Uh, it's just, you know, kind of kind of goes hand in hand there. But it definitely has to be one of those things that it can't go unchecked. Like you can't have an AI generate an article and just publish it. Just like, you know, when you have somebody when somebody writes an article for a website or a, new, or a newspaper or something, you have an editor. Uh, so it's kind of a who watches the watchman kind of thing like somebody <laughs> somebody has to keep the ai in check uh and i don't think like you can't just like let it go freely to create stuff on the internet or it the internet will just become a cesspool of you know ai generated articles that to no end and every website will cover everything because you know you can just have ai turn out how to fix a toaster oven to how to mount a tv on the wall I there's a, a site uh, slash service. One of the things that it purports to do, it's called Neva, N-E-E-V-A. And it has a built in AI feature to help you search for things. And I was curious what it would say if I typed in my name to see if it was at all accurate about what about who I was. It was not. Um, and what was fascinating is that it was citing sources um, but some of those sources were at the very least inaccurate and at the most um, nefarious. You know, it was good that that had the context of this is an AI that is doing this. But if there comes a day when like Google has as part of its kind of AI responses at the top, these little bits of information that it's plucked from around the Internet and you're not there to say, oh, no, this isn't true or here's why this is inaccurate. That can be kind of troublesome. So I guess what I'm saying is what probably everybody says. It's all very slippery slope-esque. And uh, that's certainly a concern I have. Uh, Megan, why don't you round us out on this one? You know, as as creatives for the past like decades or a few decades, we've been told like, oh, well, you know, the robots are coming for everybody's jobs, but, but ours. But so now it does feel a little scary. But what I think is promising is that like in journalism, there's been sort of decline in uh, editing and fact checking. Like those are the people that get laid off first. Like, you know, a lot of like 
Substack and like people blogging, like they don't have editors, they don't have fact checkers. So maybe, and I, I feel as an editor, that, that is really important um, that stuff doesn't go out unchecked. So maybe this will be something that makes people realize that editors are important. And I mean, it's sad, but that is the way anybody who's been in journalism long enough knows, like at a certain point, if you want to keep making more money, um, you have to become an editor and you stop writing, which is hard. But then, you know, it's like now I now I feel kind of comfortable in that. Like I feel a little bit safe that my job is still necessary. Um, I'm, I'm still smarter than ChatGPT. Thank you all for your answers on the first half of the show. It is time to take a break because it's halftime. And I want to tell you about our sponsor today. It's How to Fix the Internet. We're bringing you this episode of Clockwise. It's an original podcast from the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Sometimes it can feel like we are lurching towards a digital future no one wants. Huh, how appropriate the topic we just had. But it doesn't have to be that way. There are choices we can make to create an internet that makes a better future for all of us. Technologists and policymakers have real solutions to the problems facing our online world today. So we can build an internet that has all of the good things we want from tech with none of that creepy stuff. Your hosts are Cindy Cohn and Jason Kelly. Uh, Cindy is the executive director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation has been in the trenches and the courtrooms and the boardroom of tech activism for decades. And Jason joins the show this season. He is a digital strategist and activist with EFF, where he focuses his work on privacy, free speech, and surveillance. In each episode, Cindy and Jason invite someone with a vision on how to fix the internet, someone with real solutions on how to move the needle towards a better online world. The show will make you feel better about our digital future. It'll help you be more knowledgeable knowledgeable about what needs fixing and be more engaged uh, to demand change. Episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts and at EFF.org slash podcast. Uh, I was listening to an episode in season two uh, featuring Bunny Huang, who is uh, all about taking the technology that we have and making it not only repairable, but uh, modifiable, changeable, and talks about how Due to the lockdowns of like patents and uh, the way that these devices are built, uh, they talk about the quote unquote crystal prison that is owning an Apple device, um, that there could be uh, the possibility for a future where these devices are more modifiable and the the sky's the limit in what you can make. Uh, you can search for how to fix the internet in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. And of course, our thanks to how to fix the internet for their support of this show, for their support of Relay FM, and for working to fix the internet. Alrighty, we are back from the break, and that means it's time for Dan's topic. So there was a rumor this week that Apple is working on a foldable iPad, and. Obviously, we've seen a bunch of foldable phones um, produced by a variety of different Android device makers over the past few years. Um, my question is, do you think there's something more uh, appealing about a tablet that folds? Or is this just sort of a step to the inevitable all of our touchscreen devices will fold up into smaller things? Does this appeal to you? Is it something that, that you want? Chris, let's start with you. Absolutely. Uh, I am a big believer in let's make the iPad weird. Like, let's let's get strange with it. 
the iPad is definitely in a uh, rut right now, uh, and I'm I'm totally down for a foldable iPad. I think the the first time I saw a foldable device and it made me kind of like raise my eyebrows and go like, oh hey, that looks interesting, is on Westworld, and they had that phone that opened up into a tablet, and that's ultimately what I really want is is an iPhone that opens up into like an iPad and starts running iPad OS and lets me you know put multiple apps side by side and do all the stuff an iPad can do. Uh, But a foldable iPad, depending on how it's, you know, executed, could be really interesting. I would love to see something that's like a regular size iPad. And when it opens up, it's a 12.9 inch iPad Pro in landscape. Uh, I think that was actually one of the big things when when the original 12.9 inch iPad Pro was announced is Apple basically said it's two regular 9.7 inch iPads size. side by side next to each other and that's why they were able to do like you know full size split view and all that stuff back then so i i would totally be up for this 100 percent. i like the idea of having a bigger screen but i don't like the idea of these current methods of making a bigger screen possible or a screen that gets bigger that is you know portable in in, in its one iteration um I continue to talk about how the the future that I see is the one where you don't really need a screen at all because any surface can become your screen or any, you know, a bit of air in front of your face can become your screen. I really think that that's what all of this is in the meantime are these sort of stopgap measures to get to that eventual reality. I mean, even it could it could just be I pick up a piece of paper uh, and I've got an eight and a half by 11 uh, piece of paper and I hold it out and it can all become my screen, you know, as I'm looking through these glasses or what have you. In one sense, I like the idea of what this could provide. I just don't like the execution. So I'm not super bullish on foldable stuff in general. Megan, what about you? I, I mean, I don't ever use my iPad anymore. It's It lives right by my on my bedside table with the books that I don't read because I'm just on my phone. Um, I think I just adjust to the size of the thing. And like, I really just use my, my iPhone, you know, with the biggest screen possible and the biggest print possible and my, and you know, my watch obviously and my laptop, but I don't, I don't, I really like, I always think, okay, well now I subscribe to all these magazines and I have Apple News Plus and wouldn't it be lovely to just sit down and read magazines on my iPad, but I never do it. So, and that's kind of always how I felt about um, the iPad. So yeah, fold it. I don't know. Get rid of it altogether. Make it um, in the air like Minority Report just to make you happy, Micah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, my arms hurt already. Um I I think I'm with Chris on this one. I de- I love the idea of a device that gets more compact and I can stow away um the idea of having, you know, maybe a double duty device that works as both a phone and a small tablet eventually is something that really appeals to me, but I can even see the idea of something in the iPad vein that's more like a, you know, an iPad mini that can unfold to like a 12 or 13 inch iPad. Um all of this, of course, depends on execution. You don't want something that's so bulky and thick that it gets sort of ridiculous to use in its collapsed state um, and is really only sort of thin and nice when you've got it in its giant extended tablet state. But I think there's definitely a level where I'm willing to make that trade-off. 
Um, so I think, you know, overall, the idea of having a smaller device that can expand into a larger device is something that's a winner. I think where it runs into some potential competition is this sort of increased focus on things like augmented reality, where it's like, you don't even need like physical devices beyond whatever you wear on your face. And then you can have screens that are as big or as small as you like. Um, but as somebody who has an iPhone 14 pro and has been on the pro size iPhone or the, um, larger iPhones, basically since the iPhone 10, I find them too large. <laughs> my my hands are not small, and yet I do feel like I'm I'm increasingly having to stretch if I want to use a phone one handed. Uh, and I do that terrible thing where I let my pinky like balance the phone, mm-hmm. and now my fingers hurt. And I'm like, why isn't there just a smaller, lighter phone? Um, would a foldable phone solve that? I don't know, but at least it would have the opinion uh, or option to be a smaller device at least some of the time when I want to use it, say one handed. And then if I'm avail- able to use it with two hands, I can un fold it and sort of type with both my thumbs or whatever. Um, yeah, I think there's something there. And I'm not surprised that Apple's investigating it. But yeah, I also at the same time, it's not for everybody. So, um, you know, I don't think it will supplant our standard phones and tablets anytime soon. But I'm glad to see, as Chris said, Apple getting weird with it. That's I'm a big fan of it. So uh, thank you all for your thoughts on that topic. Let's go to our final topic, which comes from Chris. Yeah, uh, with the launch of new HomePods or updated HomePods, I'm curious to hear what your home speaker situation is. I have um, in my sort of great room space, the living room, dining room, kitchen, uh, there's a first generation HomePod that serves as the television's speaker. Um, And then I have two uh, Echo devices, um, but there was or there's an Echo uh, show that has an eight inch display that's in the kitchen and a standard Echo that is in the uh, living room space. And those I typically use to just play music uh, for the dogs when I'm gone. Um, I don't play music because I think that they enjoy it. I play music because it lets them listen to that instead of hearing sounds from out and about that then make them anxious and barky. In my office and upstairs, I've got some echoes in different places that can easily have music played to them, uh, a HomePod mini and an AirPlay uh, receiver in my office. So I've got a lot of different speakers that do a lot of different things, uh, but I tend to find myself listening with my AirPods uh, more than any other devices. Uh, although occasionally when I want to listen to some spatial audio, I will use my uh, studio display since it has that um, sort of virtual nine speaker array. Um, all right. That's me, Megan. What about you? So I am a Echo slash HomePod user as well. I have the original HomePod that I use in my bedroom and that's nice because, you know, it knows it has everything and I will often... Um, you know, if I'm listening to music in the middle of a playlist or something and I'll, you know, set it down on the HomePod so that it connects, um, which is great, except for it doesn't sync. So like if I'm in the middle of listening to a, a, a playlist, it plays that music and then it doesn't sync for some reason. Anyway, that's, that's for me to take offline. <laughs> I, uh, I have an original, uh, Echo like the original from 2015 that I use in the bathroom for shower listening. And uh, downstairs, I have an Echo Show in the kitchen and um, just then a Bluetooth speaker. So depending on whether I want to actually man- manually like hook up the Bluetooth speaker to my phone or if I just want to yell at the Echo Show and have it to play music or podcasts or whatever, then I do that. I did get a couple years ago, I got all three of my children um 
uh, HomePod minis. And the idea was that I was going to be able to have like the old kind of um, intercom system mm-hmm. and talk to them and say, dinner time, or just want to say I love you, or <laughs> is your room clean yet? Because it was disgusting when I was up there yesterday. Um, but they quickly like disconnected that oh. uh, and took me off of having the power of my HomePod. I have a bunch in my office. I have a pair of uh, wired monitors that are hooked up to my desktop because uh, when I'm editing podcasts, I need something that basically doesn't have any latency. Um, although now I wonder if like the, I have a studio display now, which I didn't have when I bought these and wonder like, oh, the studio display speaker is like good enough. It, it could work in a pinch. Um, I also have a pair, a stereo pair of home pods in here, um, which I sometimes listen to music, but mostly forget when I'm sitting at my desk because I've got these really nice monitors hooked up to my, <laughs> to my Mac. Um, elsewhere in the house, we have a, um, one of those Ikea Sono speakers in our bedroom, which oh, yeah. is mainly there to play, um, like the news in the morning. Um, but it's nice for like airplane stuff too, when you need to like bolt laundry and what have you. My home theater setup is a Sonos Arc soundbar with two Play Ones that are set up as the surrounds, which is a pretty great setup, albeit more expensive than a couple home pods. Uh, and I have a home pod mini in the kitchen that we mainly use for smart seeker stuff, but also for listening to music and the news when cooking or doing dishes. And then there's a Sonos one in our dining room that we also sometimes use for like, you know, if we're having people over or whatever, you can put a little background music on there. Um, but yeah, there's speakers everywhere and I do love the ability to just connect them all and like play music everywhere in the house or to play different music in different places. I have some annoyances with the way that Apple handles it, but like Megan said, that's not for the podcast. That's just me <laughs> griping. Uh, Chris, why don't you wrap us up here? I have uh, speakers throughout the house. I just recently moved, and when I was like prepping my move, I bought an extra set of HomePod minis uh, so I could have some HomePod minis in my bedroom. I have HomePod minis here in my office studio setup, and then I have two original HomePods in my kitchen, which is kind of like connected to my dining room and living room. Like it's this big open space. So I have a pair. I have HomePods all over there, but the HomePods I ordered right before I moved were. 15 days before the new ones were announced and anyone that knows anything knows that apple has a 14 day return policy i am not joking as soon as apple announced it i looked it up i was like can i return these still and nope i was so bummed because i think the original like the the big home pods sound so good and if there is one thing i am really bougie about it's audio quality and video quality like it's it's those kinds of maybe it's just because it's part of my profession but like I just I want like the best possible quality and the HomePod minis are fine, but I can clearly hear the difference Mm -hmm. in audio quality between the HomePod minis and the original HomePods. Uh, So I was a little bummed about that. But I also in my living room, I have a Vizio 5.1.2 soundbar wireless setup system. So basically it's it's a soundbar that sits underneath your TV, but it's Atmos. So it has three forward firing speakers and two up firing speakers. And then you have two rear speakers and then a subwoofer and stuff like that. So uh, it, it's really nice. And with the Apple TV, I can end up playing music to all four of the, you know all four of the speaker pairs throughout the house, uh, if need be. And one of my favorite things is you can do the trigger phrase and say play music throughout the house, and just everything starts playing, and that's nice. really nice. 
Yeah, yeah. that especially sounds really nice. Um, well, with that, we have just about reached the end of this episode of Clockwise. It's time, though, for the bonus topic. My question, what's one thing from elementary school, could be classes, activities, teachers, etc., that you wish you could take with you into adulthood? Megan, we'll start with you. I want someone to like keep everyone in line and tell people like when they're not doing the right thing to keep doing the right thing. I want that in real life and traffic at work in the world. Yes. <laughs> oh man, my first inclination is nap time. Um, but as a quick, quiet, uh, like a, a close second, quiet, quiet reading time. Everybody <laughs> read quietly to yourselves. Uh, for me, I'm going to say recess because there are days since I work at home that I I will go like the whole day without going outside. And that's probably not a good thing. Mine's going to have to be Valentine's Day parties where everybody gets everybody a little Valentine. And you get all these adorable little Aww. cards that have ridiculous uh, puns on them. Puns make me happy. I don't care if they're the lowest form of humor. I they they make me laugh. And I would love to have like, you know, 12 to 14 um, little Valentine's Day cards from I all have to, of I have to send some in with my kid to daycare and none of those kids can read. <laughs> <laughs> so it all feels a little pointless. <laughs> so really they're just for the parents yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. oh boy um yeah that's what i'd like to have now folks if you out there would like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week you can by becoming a member of clockwise just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and sign up for just five bucks a month or fifty dollars a year and in doing so you'll help support the show in this week's overtime topic we discuss ai voice fakes And with that, we have reached the end of this episode of Clockwise. All that is left is to thank our incredible guests, Megan Moroni, whose voice or whose name I have to say in the uh, cadence of Oprah for some reason. Thank you for being here on the show today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for saying my name just like that. Always, even in person. (laughs) And Christopher Lolly, thank you so much for being here. I'm doing my best, but I'm not as good as Micah. (laughs) I I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. Like, no, that that made me feel good. I'm I'm energized now. Ready to get the day going. All right. Well, we will be back next week, Micah. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. 